I'm Rob. And I'm Michelle. And this is Two, Two Librarians, Librarians Walk Into a Shelf. shelf. Rob, I have a question for you. Yeah. Waffles or pancakes? Mm, I think there's only one answer to this question. I think so, too. And it's waffles. It's pancakes. It's waffles. Pancakes. <laughs> okay. It's waffles, but I'm gonna I'm gonna let you try to convince me of otherwise. Go. Okay. First, I'm gonna say I don't dislike waffles. No, no, no. You don't have to say that. Okay. You don't have to say that. I think waffles are fine. Oh, they're fine. Pancakes okay. are superior. <laughs> this is why you don't need a piece of dumb special equipment to make a pancake. You just need. <sighs> A skillet or any other flat, hot surface. You don't need a stupid waffle iron. I don't like the way waffles sometimes are, like, squishy on the inside. I don't know. Pancakes are superior. Buttermilk pancakes are superior. Don't come at me with any of these, like, bland 2% milk pancake batter recipes. Buttermilk pancakes or go home. Are you done? <laughs> I make excellent pancakes. No, I'm not done. Give me your reasons why you think waffles are superior. Okay. Five reasons why waffles are superior to pancakes. Number five. Oddly enough, because it takes a special appliance to make a waffle. You can't just use a skillet. You have to have the proper apparatus to make a waffle. <laughs> Okay, I'll let you keep going. Number four, they're called waffle cones, not pancake cones. You can't enjoy ice cream in a pancake. But a waffle cone isn't actually a waffle. Number three, you have to literally eat a stack of pancakes to fill up where one waffle does that for you. I would say it's the opposite. Well... Number two, waffles have built-in butter and syrup reservoirs. This is true. And the number one reason why waffles are superior to pancakes, chicken and pancakes doesn't roll off the tongue as easily as chicken and waffles. You know what, though? It's just as delicious. It's, but it's not. The best way you can eat a pancake is to wrap it in a sausage for a breakfast corn dog. I'm finished. Mic drop. <laughs> I still think <laughs> pancakes are superior. Okay. Well, I agree to disagree. Let's go on. <laughs> Two librarians walk into a shelf feud. <laughs> we will continue this later. Bring it. <laughs> All right. This week we are talking about movies and books and books that are better than the movies and movies that are better than the books and everything in between. What do you got for us? The best one I've talked about before, you know, my love for high fidelity. Yes. Right. The Hulu adaptation of the book by Nick Hornby, high fidelity starring Zoe Kravitz was a perfect piece of storytelling. They took the source material with, you know, high fidelity by Nick Hornby and also had a movie starring John Cusack. The movie's fine. 
and like gender flipped it. So the main character, Rob, is female, played by Zoe Kravitz. It's the same basic story. She owns a record store. She's got crazy coworkers that work at the record store with her. And she's trying to figure out where her relationships have gone wrong. And she's not quite willing to admit that it's her yet. That's, okay, ba- same that's basic. the basics for that's the basis for the story. Yeah, same same character. Yep, um, but it's you know gender flipped and the way they modernized it, it just created a much better story, I think, than the original from Nick Hornby and even the John Cusack movie. Well, the character is kind of a miserable character. Yeah, like in the movie, I've seen the movie. I haven't read the book. But the guys that work in the record shop with them, I found to be way more interesting yes. and entertaining than the character of Rob. Yeah, it, I don't think it's aged that well because it's kind of for the same reasons I don't like Ready Player One. I feel like it's just gatekeeping. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't get all the references that I like, then you're not cool. I don't know. It just it hasn't aged well. Okay. It was fine at the time. We know better now. Um. You know, he's just kind of like a miserable white guy that blames everybody else for his problems. Yeah. I don't think, I think we're over those stories. It's time to get past them. So telling, telling that story from the female perspective is flipped in that kind of stereotypical story that we would tell about a dude. I don't know. It was really great. So I recommend that for sure. Uh, Second, second best, I think, is any Jane Austen book turned into a movie. Interesting. I don't don't want to read a Jane Austen book. Really? The language is too much. I get so angry at the characters because they can't just say what they feel. (laughs) And I'm not saying that her books aren't well done. They are. They're clearly important pieces of, like, literature and history because we still talk about them and are still adapting them now. I think the stories are great. I would watch any adaptation of a Jane Austen. I just can't read a book. That's interesting. See, I would have thought that you would at least enjoy the novels. I mean, I could see where you might enjoy the movies more, but you don't even like. I can't read them. Wow. Yeah. Okay. It's like like you would think as a librarian. I'm not ashamed of that. I don't care. But no, like, there's people, no you know, guilt. We've already. Yeah, no guilt associated, but it's like I'm a librarian and I don't like Jane Austen. I really don't like Jane Austen books, but I will watch any adaptation. The Colin Firth adaptation of Pride and Prejudice, the Kate Winslet adaptation of Sense and Sensibility, like Emma Thompson does Emma. Those two are my favorites. Okay. Um, One that I think I've mentioned when I was reading the novella, John Campbell's 1938 sci-fi story, Who Goes There, was made into a movie in 1951, The Thing from Another World. And for 1951, it was a great movie. And it's considered a classic now. It just wasn't a very good adaptation. And I think it's they didn't have the technology to kind of do a shape-shifting monster like the story calls for. So fast forward to 1982, John Carpenter does The Thing, which is an avalanche of shape-shifting, grotesque, violent, body-ripping imagery and while a lot of people hated that movie when it came out they were fans of the original movie they failed to realize that it was a perfect adaptation of the original source novella who goes there probably to the point where i prefer it better than the novella which i've read a couple times 
So I think that's an instance where it was written in 38, the first adaptation in 51, did a great job, but it didn't really capture the essence of the story. And then, of course, by 82, they were able to do that. So time caught up with that one. And I think that one's kind of interesting. They did make a sequel to the thing, uh, to the John Carpenter thing, which was a prequel. And that was interesting, but it didn't it didn't really get too many people interested in that. And then they found the original version of Who Goes There, Frozen Hell, which I've talked about. So, like, that story keeps on popping up. It's kind of cool. Um, the other one that I would say that they've never gotten right, Richard Matheson's I Am Legend. They've made three versions of this and the best is still the 1964 Last Man on Earth with Vincent Price. It's creepy, atmospheric. It was shot in Italy in black and white. Uh, Matheson wrote it under the name Logan Swanson. Then they tried again in 1971 with Charlton Heston and the Omega Man. And they changed the vampires to victims of a biological war. And they're sort of this weird, creepy, religious cult. And Heston fights them at night and meets some other kind of survivors and it's an action pack, but it, it kind of got even farther away from the source material. And then there was 2007's I am legend with Will Smith, which started off promisingly. I got really excited in the opening scenes of that movie thinking, man, this is going to be the best adaptation of this story ever. And oops, it turned into like this video game that was hard to look at these little video game CGI monsters bouncing all around. Like, I, I don't know what that was. Um, for me, I hated that. But <laughs> it has its fans, and it brought that story to a lot of people. So uh, I'm always grateful for that. Got some honorable mentions. Okay. Uh, the Little Women version from 2019, the Greta Gerwig. Little Women is an excellent movie. So well done. The Boz Lerman Romeo and Juliet from the 90s with Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes. Perfect adaptation. Wow. Love it. Matilda by Roald Dahl. The one from the 90s with Danny DeVito as the dad. Not the newer one. And the newest one, I think, is Netflix's adaption of All the Boys I've Loved Before. The book is by Jenny Han. It's a YA, cute romance. They did a great job with it. The only problem with that, and it's a personal problem, is the, the dad... In that, it about killed me that he's the dad with gray hair. It's John Corbett. Mm-hmm. So he Aiden in Sex in the City. He was Ian Miller in My Big Fat Greek Wedding. He was in Northern Exposure. Anyway, I always had a crush on him. And it makes sense now that he is a dad in movies instead of like. Right, because. Because I'm older and a mom. And but he's it was older. it was just like a moment of, okay, we're getting old now. Because John Corbett is <laughs> no longer the love interest. He's he's the dad. Shouldn't he be the granddad? Sorry. Shut sorry. Your mouth. Sorry. <laughs> I was really invested in him as Aiden in Sex and the City, though. Really? You like that character? I did. Carrie should have ended up with him. This is my hot take. She never should have ended up with Mr. Big. I wish she'd have ended up with Aiden, and that's the way it should have been. Okay. Wait. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> you were invested in that show. 
you just made a wish for a character. <laughs> I did. <laughs> Wait, did you really just do that? I did. You. So what if you get a wish and you just used it on a character that's not even alive? It's not even a real character. Like, you didn't wish for world peace. You didn't wish to win a lottery. You wished for a character on a series that's been off the air for years to have gotten together with another character? That is dedication. Well, yes, Jeannie, I would like to change the course of television history by making Carrie stay with Aiden and not go back to Mr. Big, thus negating all three Sex and the City movies. Well, you might as well run home and check if it's on Netflix and see if your wish came true, because that would really be weird if all of a sudden you go back. We have too much power. It's the microphones. I've made a lot of dumb wishes, but I don't think I've ever wished for a character. But that's sweet. That's sweet that you would do that. Fine. <laughs> do you have honorable mentions? Yeah. Uh, one, movie way better than the book, Jaws. I don't know why Jaws was ever picked up by a major studio. It was a greasy nature run amok book in the 70s. It had horrible characters, very few likable characters, and then Spielberg and his army of writers made this incredible movie. A lot of it because they couldn't get the shark to work, so they had to continue to write to make it interesting. Like, why are you watching a movie about three guys on a boat? <laughs> we don't even have a mechanical shark to jump out at them. And they created this amazing, amazing movie that is so much better. And I do enjoy reading the novel, but it's like reading something it's it's kind of hard, other than some of the characters having the same names, seeing that that movie Jaws oh, yeah. came from that novel. Right. <laughs> so, so what about worst book to movie adaptations, Rob? Well, the worst, and it's a worst only because of it. It's an, a bad adaptation. Would be Dan O'Bannon's Return of the Living Dead, which I've talked about. Everybody knows Dan O'Bannon's a hero of mine, but he didn't really adapt John Russo's original novel. When it was bought to be made into a film, the producer only wanted the title. So they really created the story that they made it, the movie out of. And that was the punk rockers in the graveyard and the cremated zombie. And it makes it rain and all the zombies come up out of the graveyard. That had nothing to do with the original novel. The original novel is a direct 10-year sequel to Night of the Living Dead with the same characters carrying over. And uh, now the movie's a classic. It's one of my all-time favorite movies. And it does work as a, its own sequel, but it's its own entity. You want to talk about something that couldn't be more different than the source novel. I mean, they just adapted the, uh, the title. So it's a horrible adaptation of that novel. It's a classic movie, classic novel. I would still love to see them make the, the, the actual novel into a, a movie. That would really be cool. What about you? I have three. Okay. First one is Peter Rabbit. I love Rose Byrne, but the original intent of Beatrix Potter's Peter Rabbit is not about the people getting together and hijinks because he wants to, you know, be with her or whatever kind of grossness was going on in that. It's supposed to be about the rabbits. So I just, it's like the the intent of the story was gone. Do you think they were trying to make it more suitable for parents that were going to have to get dragged to go see it? Maybe, but they didn't do a good job. 
Fair. I don't know too many people that like that movie. It's not a good movie. The Percy Jackson movies, those books are great. We've talked about how my kid is always listening to a Percy Jackson book. They did a terrible job with the movies. Just whatever. Yeah, that's a whatever. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and then my last one is Beautiful Creatures. It's the book by Cami Garcia and Margaret Stoll. It came out in like late 2000s. They made a movie in like 2013. It had a great cast. Jeremy Irons, Emma Thompson, Viola Davis, and then you know some kids, but nobody remembers the kids because they were in this bad movie. <laughs> Which is sad, but that's the way it is. But it was like a southern gothic story with magic and like this old family that had been there forever and like a creepy old library with the answers and secrets and families that know all of each other's old family business and these teenagers that are kind of caught up in it and trying to like solve the problems. It was a great book. The series was fine. Like it's a book series, so there's two or three more after the first one. They're fine. Fun, worth reading. The movie did not do it well at all. They had a great cast, and they still couldn't pull it out. Wow, that's yeah. a shame. So it's just like, I was like, what was that? Should have been a grand slam. Like, none of the themes of the book made it into the movie. So, whatever. Do you have any short stories that were adapted into great movies? I don't think so. Do you, do you know of any? Because I know of one. I feel like I'm being set up here. Children of the Corn. Oh. 16 pages, and I think they've made almost 16 Children of the Corn movies since 1984. That, to me, is the most incredible movie adaptation. When you think of all the people in Hollywood that were given jobs by this one 16-page short story, dudes made careers out of, just, out of Children of the Corn movies. Adaptations of the 16-page short story. Oh, my goodness. I forget how many there are. I mean, I lose count after Children of the Corn 666. Now, that's not 666, but it feels sometimes like there's 666 of them. But, yeah, Children of the Corn. Wow, what the powerful words in that 16-page short story. It's inspired so much art. <laughs> It's amazing. That it's amazing. Cool. It's amazing. So, so did you like? Do you like Dan Brown books? No, you don't like Angels and Demons. And I, I haven't read any. Code. I have no interest in that kind of I stuff. Don't, I think they're probably. This is not a dig. They're too long for you. Like movies are oh, too yeah, long. Yeah, yeah. You know, like you want somebody to tell their story and get out. Dan Brown does and not out. do that. No, I don't. So, I don't need you lingering around in my head trying to tell me your long story. <laughs> Just tell your story and be done. Go, get going. I got a and life. they're not really your genre either. But they, I thought they were fun and interesting. Uh, so, you know, like Angels and Demons, Da Vinci Code, and Inferno, the three books were pretty great. They were all Robert Langdon's the main character. Tom Hanks plays him in the movies. The movie Inferno was horrible. It, How was the book? The book was pretty okay. Like, they're not bastions of literature. Right. But they're fun, twisty and turny and murder and thriller and, you know, ancient conspiracies and whatever. Um, they just... I don't understand what happened with Inferno. Angels and Demons and Da Vinci Code were pretty good. I still watch those. Not Inferno. Maybe not every book needs to be turned into a movie. I think that's probably true. Maybe they were just trying too hard. Was that a Ron Howard? I think so. Yeah, he cranks them out like sausages. <laughs> he doesn't care. He's not made a good movie since um, what obscure movie can I pull out of my hat? 
Well, honestly, I think Grand Theft Auto. Oh, geez. From 1978. Oh, geez. Night Shift from 1982. <laughs> I just, I just think of him as the narrator in Arrested Development. Oh, that's true. That's that's about it. You know what I think of him as? Did you ever hear that Haunted House record from Disney? It's it's based on the ride, the Haunted Mansion. I'm sure I have. And he's the guy that goes into the he's the the guy of the couple that goes into the mansion oh, that the story's about. Interesting. I've got that. I still have that record somewhere. It's an old Peter Pan record. Peter Pan was who made all the kids' albums back right. when I was a kid. And it's a long play, and it's his. It's him playing that character that the ride is based on. Interesting. I wonder if that's out there somewhere. I'm That'd sure. be pretty cool. It's it's fun to listen to, but I always I love that when I was a kid. Anyway, what are you reading now? Well, I just finished the most awesome book. It's not available in the library system. It's an older book from 1974. It's The Baroness Number Two. Diamonds are for dying. How by, did you find this book? By Paul Kenyon. Oddly enough, I did come by this book from the library. I found it in the library bookstore for a quarter. You never know what you'll find in there. It's and you know, I'll buy just about anything for a quarter. <laughs> I am still that person who I'll yeah, I'll buy that for a quarter. Maybe not a dollar, but a quarter. The Baroness, number two, diamonds are for dying. So the Baroness was a short-lived action-adventure series featuring Baroness Penelope St. John Orsini. She's a super sexy spy that can kill a world leader in the afternoon and still make a grand entrance at the ball that evening, then spend the entire evening making sweet, sweet love until the early morning and jetting off to her next assignment. In this novel... Penelope, or as everyone knows, Penelope, because that's what it looks like when I'm reading it. <laughs> and her team infiltrate a syndicate of Nazis in Rio de Janeiro who are using a special diamond that will harness unimaginable nuclear power and will help Hitler's son rise to power and world domination. It sounds silly when I'm forced to say it out loud, but... Hitler's son? Yes, Reg. No, I forget his name. <laughs> I didn't bring the book today. I would flip through and found his name, but it, it was it was German. I don't remember what his name was, but yeah. So the world in which this story exists is like this fantasy world where the hero is rarely in any real danger. And she gets out of just about every jam with some weird James Bond gadget that she's hidden somewhere on herself. There's one point where... She's literally just wearing bra, panties, and sandals, and she's got enough gadgets hidden <laughs> in the in the hemlines or in the stitchings of these little these fragments that she she makes a sword. <laughs> I'm giving away too much. <laughs> I think she was. This book is action packed and at around 200 pages, it really doesn't waste any words. Uh, they don't make books like this. They don't write books like this anymore for, for, for obvious reasons. reasons. But I enjoyed it for what it is. But she, yeah, she she's got this. It's this this thread that when you get it hot, it expands into razor sharp metal. So she's got it stitched through her bra, and she pulls it out and mixes it with another part from her sandals. This and seems ill advised. And she makes a what sword. What if she's still wearing it in the fire? And it gets though, hot. And it gets hot and expands into razors. 
anyway. I thought about that, but, but I wanted didn't. to see where the story went. Sure. <laughs> anyway, what are you reading? I'm sure it's way better than what I'm reading. I don't know that it's better, but maybe a little more highbrow. <laughs> okay, fair. Uh, I got an advanced copy of the new Megan Miranda. It's called Such a Quiet Place. Talked about Megan Miranda books on the podcast before. I, I enjoy her thrillers. They're twisty. They're turny. She does a good job of getting that suspense going without being gratuitous or too gross like a lot of thrillers get. At least too gross for me. I have a, a low threshold Fair. for violence. So this one takes place in a suburban neighborhood where a murder has happened and one of the their own, one of their neighbors, is accused of the murder. And when the accused conviction is overturned the next year, she returns to the neighborhood and a bunch of secrets about the night of the murder start coming out. And so maybe it's not such a nice neighborhood after all. So I'm not done with it. I'm halfway through. Is it working? So far, yeah. I'm all hoping right. it ends. You know, I hope the ending is satisfying. If it's not, just wish it. <laughs> Thanks for that. What are you watching? Uh, I watched an, a really, really, really good. It's new. It's from 2019, Dr. Sleep. This is based on the Stephen King novel, which you may know is the sequel of sorts to The Shining. It's a continuation of the character Dan Torrance, who was the little boy in The Shining. So this movie, this movie's a different kind of adaptation of the book because King wrote the book as a continuation to his novel. The Stanley Kubrick movie, The Shining, had very little to do. Well, I mean, it didn't, it's not that it had very little to do. It made, it made so many changes to the source novel that King ended up you know, remaking himself. He always hated the Stanley Kubrick version. He remade it for TV in 1997, and that that's a great version too. So this adaptation of Dr. Sleep, I've not read the book, so I can't comment on how well it follows the book, but I know that it, it follows the book up to a point, and then it, it really does become a sequel to The Shining, and stuff happens in the book. Or, I'm sorry. Stuff happens in the movie that's not in the book. And I think that's where a lot of people maybe don't like the movie. So, like, if, if you really love The Shining and you didn't like The Shining, the movie, if you love the novel and didn't like the movie, you probably won't like this. I went into it expecting a sequel to The Shining, and I was really surprised. It was really enjoyable. Ian McGregor is Dan Torrance. He's the grown-up version of the little boy from the first film. And... He's struggling with his own personal demons. It's a very mature look at this character. I really appreciated that they spent some time establishing him and what he's going through. He finds another young girl who has the shining, which is that ability to kind of see stuff. And he has to keep her safe from this group of like kind of almost like vampire creatures, uh, it's, it's a really interesting group of characters. And the story takes some interesting turns as far as how it plays out. It, it, I never quite got ahead of this one, didn't know where it was going. And uh, I just really enjoyed it. The, the, the main bad guy in this one is played by Rebecca Ferguson. And I was not familiar with her before this, but she is great as Rose of the Hat. Very sinister. This movie makes a lot of references to the original uh, Shining. They recreate a lot of sets. They recreate characters. So depending on what you're in the mood for, I really enjoyed it. It's its own creature. Would I like this movie? 
You would not because there's a lot of violence that involves kids. Okay, yeah, I'm out. So if if that's something that you're you have no tolerance for, you definitely don't want to watch Doctor Sleep. Okay. It was good. It was two and a half hours. Everybody knows I don't like really long movies. And this one, it just kind of, I got wrapped up in it. Well, good storytelling. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so that's in the system, the DVD. We did just put the Blu-ray in and the Blu-ray includes the director's cut, which I think is almost 19 hours long. <laughs> so if you want to give that a watch, if you enjoyed the what you saw on DVD or in theaters, because that came out at the end of 2019, Put the uh, Blu-ray on hold and watch 27 and a half hours of Dr. Sleep. <laughs> what are you watching? I've finished watching a new series on Netflix. It's called Shadow and Bone. It's based on books written by Lee Bardugo, which I've talked about on the show before. So this is the, apparently we're just talking about stuff I've talked about before today. But that's okay. We do that. We, we get to play favorites. We do. The, her first series starts with the book Shadow and Bone. It's the title of the the Netflix adaptation, it's a girl who is the chosen one, a love triangle, and the guy that she thinks is going to help her is really maybe the villain, and meh, whatever, fine. Her second series starts with Six of Crows, and it's a heist. The second one in that is also a heist. I love a good heist. I love the characters in those. Wait, they're, she got so to be so much of a better writer. So with her second series, it is clear that she is honed her craft. She's created these characters that are full of depth. They're funny. They're interesting. Netflix uh, bought the rights to it, and they've interwoven the two together. They take place in the same universe. All of her books take place in the same universe, so they've interwoven the story of, like, the chosen one, love triangle, you know, trying to battle the evil. It's called The Fold. There's, like, a treacherous, dark cloud splitting their country in two. And to, like, pass through it, you need the help of magic, and there's, like, creepy creatures inside that will eat you. And so the the thought is Alina, the main character, will destroy the wall, and the country will come back together. It's not a spoiler. The General Kirigan that she thinks is going to, like, help her is really the bad guy. And he has created the wall and wants it to stay. So that's not a spoiler. That's in all the literature about the stuff. But then you've got the crows, right? So they're, like criminals from like the underbelly of a big city in this fantasy world and they're on a heist because they're going to kidnap Alina because somebody's offering them money to do it it doesn't work out for them but she's interwoven it's like a prequel for them that's not the heist that happens in the books so they've interwoven the stories together really I just want the heist I can do without the like (laughs) love triangle Alina being the chosen one story. It was fine. I was entertained. I think the storytelling was really good. The characters did a really good job with their character. You know, like the actors did a really good job with their characters. But really, I just want the heist from the Six of Crows. Sure. But it's good, and I recommend it. All right. So. Okay, well, I think that wraps us up. Next time, we'll be doing two books and a movie. The movie this time is The King of Staten Island. That's right. Which I've seen. You're still... Got to watch it, but I'm I'm, I'm going to. I like Pete Davidson, so I'm. And then, oh, yeah, he's great. And then we'll be doing our book club, and this month is National Audiobook Appreciation. So we're listening to an audiobook for this month's book club, and it's Tessa Dare. A Lady by Midnight. Total Romance. Guess who picked it? That's all I'll say. 
We both picked it. We both, we both picked it. <laughs> and so the next month, we're reading Outlawed by Anna North. Anna North. It's brand new. So if you want to read that, we both have it right now, checking it out. Um, get on the holds list. Get on the holds list. It's not a real long book. It's a feminist Western. That's the only way I could get you to read another Western. I think so, yeah. And it looks cool. Did you start it yet? I got through the first couple of pages. Oh. I just I didn't have a whole lot of time to sit down and read this. Gotcha, morning, so. gotcha. I haven't checked it like, out I'm, yet. I'm, I'm going to. Okay, so. so that'll be for next month, and we're just mentioning it now because it's new. And you get, get on the holds. holds. Yeah, yeah. And, get, and get that, and, and it looks cool. So I think that's uh, that's about it. Remember... No matter what they tell you, no matter how they try to convince you. Pancakes are better. Don't trust Michelle. (laughs) The views expressed by the hosts are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the Huntsville-Madison County Library System. For more information on the Huntsville-Madison County Public Library, visit us online at hmcpl.org. If you'd like to learn more about some of the topics discussed today, visit your local library, which is us. No representation is made that your librarian is more knowledgeable than other librarians or that they have any expertise on your particular project. Why can't you just say it without (laughs) laughing, though? Because you're making faces. I am. You can't even see my face. I'm wearing a mask.